Good morning. Please stand with me for the call to worship. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Loving God, clothe us in yourself and enable us to live and serve after the pattern of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to take maybe a few extra moments and times of greeting this morning. Maybe find someone across the other side of the sanctuary you haven't talked to, seen for a little bit, as we greet one another in the name of Christ. We do welcome you to uh, worship service today. It's good to have you here. And just a couple things to highlight. Tonight at 6 o'clock, 
Uh, we're hosting a, an evening of music. Uh, we'll have the opportunity for us to sing as a congregation. There will be a children's choir that will be uh, performing some songs, a men's ensemble, a women's ensemble. And uh, we'd just love to have you come and be a part of this evening of music at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. You see uh, other activities listed throughout the week and uh, next Sunday as well. And there are a number of prayer concerns, as always, uh, things related to us specifically here, as well as circumstances around the world. And uh, we pray for God's grace and mercy in each of them. We are uh, thrilled to, uh, to welcome, it says in our bulletin, to Emily Hoffman, uh, to our staff. And uh, she's going to come this morning and uh, help begin a presentation of our second grade class. like to invite the second grade class and Jill and Carl Schmidt to come up. They're going to, they've been learning the books of the Bible, memorizing the books of the Bible, and they want to share that with you today. I want to tell you, you guys are amazing, and we are so proud of you, and we, your church family, we love you, and we care so much about you, and we want to give you a gift. We have Bibles or prayer journals. The kids got to pick what they wanted, and we want you to remember when you're reading these how much we love you and how proud we are of you and how much God loves you and how important you are to him, so thank you. We'll have the uh, Schmitz and the class up front after the service, and all of you can come up and do the same thing that they just did. <laughs> See how well we do. That's, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's great. I remember as a child learning the books of the Bible, and I still, especially in some of those minor prophets, I start this first one and kind of work my way through them to figure out the order of those. But it's, it's a tremendous thing. We appreciate what the Schmitz are doing and what all of our Sunday school teachers are doing to help our children know Christ and, and to know His Word. And uh, it's, a, it's a, such an important part of the ministry of our church. And thank you to all of you who uh, participate in ministering to our children in a variety of ways. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. <coughs> Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 
We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Fill us with the desire to want you to change what we are and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. About three or four years ago now, our uh, youth group went to the Wesleyan Youth Convention in Baltimore, and there were two junior high students in that group who went with us. And at that convention, they heard stories about people in other parts of the world who did not have enough clean water to drink and to you know do all the necessities that you need clean water for. And at that time... Uh, these two students said, you know what, we need to do something about that. And of course, it, at that time, we weren't sure what that was going to be. They didn't know exactly how that was going to work out. Um, but from that event, this uh, organization that we know as Quench was born. And these two ladies have worked since that time to raise money uh, to dig wells in other parts of the world where there's no water. And uh, Rachel and Kelsey have had a goal for a long time to raise $10,000 to, uh, you know, to, to achieve this goal of, of digging wells. And as you know, in the last, uh, last couple of weeks, we've had a, a banquet, or the, uh, the dinner that we had, it was barbecue. I'm not sure you can call that a banquet. It was a barbecue that you all participated in. And at that, that uh, dinner, we were hoping to raise the final $600 to uh, reach the $10,000 goal. And in, in fact, we raised 1200 at that at that dinner. And so uh, this has been a long time uh, coming. And these two young ladies have learned a ton through this process. And if you talk with them, I'm sure they'll tell you that. There have been moments, you know, when life gets busy and you, you don't have time to work on this goal that you have. And uh, there have been sort of high moments when, when uh, money has come in. And it's just been a great, great process. And we've seen the Lord working in them as they work to serve him. And so we just wanted to take a moment as a church to celebrate this milestone that they've, that they've accomplished and this goal that was completed and to just thank God for his work in their lives and, and through them uh, for the lives of many people who will be blessed by these wells. So let's just pray and then they want to say a word of thanks. All right, Father, we thank you again for your love for us, Father, and the way that you use us. We thank you that you, those years ago, touched Rachel and Kelsey uh, their heart, uh, and, and instilled in them this idea to, to help others. And Father, we're grateful that we've been able to see this milestone reached, and we want to thank you for that work. We thank you for Rachel and Kelsey, and we ask for your blessing on their lives as they continue to look for ways to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We want to thank you all for everything you've done for us. It's been so good to have the support of our church throughout this amazing growing experience. It's been a long journey, and we never could have done it alone. We really appreciate everything that you've done for us, and we hope for your continued support as we move forward with this project. As the ushers come forward to collect our morning tithes and offerings, will you stand with me, please, and sing the doxology?
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that each one of us is blessed in so many ways. And we pray now, Lord, that you would help us to participate in your economy of multiplying what we bring to you in tithes and offerings. And we pray that it would bless your kingdom and help others see Jesus. In your name, amen. Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you... You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord.
It seems as though that is the appropriate way in the moment to hear God. So today, if you'd like to come and kneel at the altar as we pray together, please join me. Father, we are reminded today of your presence and for the fact that we often live from day to day with such little awareness that you are with us. We go about our busy lives of work and home and leisure, study, and so many good things. And yet, too often we do all of this without sensing that you are nearer to us than the things that we touch or, or the aromas that we smell or the people that we meet. Father, if we are granted one prayer, let it be that we live more sensitively with eyes to see and ears to hear 
and souls to know that you are indeed with us. And that your presence with us makes all the difference in who we are and in how we live. Father, we come today laying before you the burdens that are on our hearts, our individual burdens, our collective burdens. Some here today are feeling the weight of sorrow and loss. Some are burdened by illness, suffering, pain. For some it is a relationship that is simply not where it should be. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for ourselves and for each other. Father, we pray for our world. We think of people who are grieving and trying to recover from recent tragedies. We think of our world so filled with war and violence. We think of the needs of our world where people don't have adequate drinking water enough food, place, a safe place to sleep. Hear our prayers for our world that you love, you created. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for speaking into our lives, into this corporate body of believers, into your church around the world. We offer our prayers today in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. and our returning King. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading is the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord.
you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your working in our lives. We ask this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds that we may hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a confession to make. I, uh, I struggle with that old nature of mine. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it feels like I work and I work and I try to make things right and uh, things keep cropping up. And sometimes I'll focus on one area, you know, and I'll try to get it set just right the way it should be. And as soon as I feel like I've got that taken care of, I look over my shoulder and other things are cropping up. And finally, uh, a couple of years ago, I said to myself, I quit. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And uh, I called up a couple of friends and I said, I need help. I need you to help me with this. And, and so ever since then, once a week or so, uh, Ryan and Isaac Pelletier come over and they mow my lawn and they weed whack. And my nature has never looked better. And uh, I think if you have trouble with your nature, you should call them because they, they can make it look good. Oh, really, oh, really what did you think I was talking about? Uh, holiness, right? We're talking about holiness today. That's a weighty idea. It's heavy. But the scriptures are full of this idea. And here's just a few passages. From Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. First Peter, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In James, for when your endurance is fully developed... You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Several years ago, I was at a picnic with a group of families, and I was approached by a friend, and he kind of approached me in a conspiratorial kind of manner, right? It's like he had something to tell me, but he didn't want everybody to hear. So we moved off to the side of the group, and we kind of turned our backs to everybody else, and I leaned in so that I could hear what he had to say. And he said, John. I think I went all day yesterday without sinning, right? 24 hours. We're like, that's great. We did a little celebration complete with a spiked hot dog, you know. The question is, how long can you go without willfully sinning, right? I mean, let's do a little hypothetical here. Let's say you pray a prayer of confession and repentance, right? And in that moment, you are forgiven. You know, dare I say, holy How long does that condition last? Uh, 30 seconds? A minute? How about an hour? What if if this happens right before bed and you fall asleep? Then you got seven hours, right? Or six or whatever you sleep. Why not a whole month? I put this question to our senior high boys Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago. And one of them thought only for a second and he said, uh, 12.8 seconds. To which I said, guys, not every time that you think about sex is it a sin. <laughs> but we're skeptical, aren't we? We are skeptical about our ability to be holy. When I have brought this question up with our teens, you know, and I'll read to them that passage that where Jesus says, be perfect. You know, they are unwilling to say that Jesus meant for us to be perfect. They'll say, it's a goal. Jesus was setting a goal that we should shoot for. He knew we could not achieve that. But there are many passages in Scripture, including large chunks of Ephesians, that indicate God really does want us to be holy. Unfortunately, there are also large uh, swaths of Christianity that believe it is simply not possible for human beings on this side of the earthly plane to go without sinning. Instead, we hear from those camps two contradictory and, 
you know, sort of schizophrenia-inducing messages, which are these. One, do not sin. But on the other hand, it is not possible for you not to sin. And unfortunately, these contradictory messages can converge to produce a sort of a hopelessness in us about our ability to live a victorious Christian life. And this morning, I want to argue that Jesus died on the cross not only to save us from the consequences of our sin so that we can go to heaven with him when we die, but he also came to save us from our sins, to cleanse us, to give us a new and a full life, a new self, as it says in Ephesians 4, a self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants us to be holy. And that idea carries with it at least one very significant implication. For the Christian, it is possible not to sin. In fact, in Ephesians 4, verse 17, Paul is insisting on it. He says, in the NIV it says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. In the NLT, which you have in front of you, it says, With the Lord's authority I say this, don't live as the Gentiles live. They're confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They're far from God. Their hearts and their minds are far from God. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But, he says, that is not how you have learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth, throw off that sinful nature. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature which is created to be like God in true righteousness, truly righteous and holy. I think on some level, we get this, right? I mean, God doesn't want us to sin. That was sort of the point of the whole Ten Commandment thing, right? Don't sin. But we start to get nervous when we think about actually living that out in the day-to-day possibilities of how we do that. In Psalm 51, David captures our mindset, right? He says, I know my transgressions and my sin. It's always before me. Right? I mean, I know what my life is like. I know what my family is like. We're not, you know, the worst people in town. I mean, we're we're certainly far better than the Odins. Okay. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, we have the Jordans right at the end of our street. They're, They're much better than we are. I mean, we're kind of in the middle, right? We're, we're all kind of in the middle there somehow. Perfection? Holiness? What exactly does that mean? Now, in the last couple chapters of Ephesians, Paul describes holiness and, and how we live out this new self, and he does it in some pretty concrete terms. There are a bunch of things that holy people do and a bunch that they don't do, all right? In fact, there's so many, I put them on the list, but... I put them all on one slide and they're kind of hard to read. There it is, see? Here's some of the things that holy people don't do. They don't lie. They don't steal. They don't engage in unwholesome talk. They don't grieve the Holy Spirit. They're not bitter. They don't have rage, anger, malice, and they don't brawl. I had to really underline that one at the 830 service. Those guys are brawlers in the 830. Uh, They don't slander. They don't participate in sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, greed. They're not obscene. They're not foolish. No coarse joking. And they don't get drunk. That's what they don't do. On the do side of things, holy people love like Christ did. They participate in wholesome talk that builds people up. They work. They share what they have. They're kind, compassionate, forgiving, thankful, filled with the Spirit, They sing and they make music to the Lord. They honor and they obey those in authority. They're humble and gentle. They submit to each other. They respect each other. They serve each other. And they pray always. So now let's see. Uh, I haven't been drunk yet today. I can check that one off. I haven't stolen anything yet today. I can check that one off. When we go down the don't list, it's, you know, we're pretty clear about that one. But when we get to the do list, it gets tougher right? Have I been completely thankful today, content in what I have and who I am? And have I been respectful to everyone, including my family? 
it's, it really is a daunting list in many ways. How is it possible for God to expect holiness of us? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul makes clear the condition of our existence before Christ's intervention. He says, you were dead. You were dead in our sins. In that condition, of course, we're trapped in our sin, able only to gratify the cravings of the flesh. Without Christ, we are incapable of not sinning. We're stuck both with the consequences of our sin and in the present reality of the daily mire of our sin. We're spiritually dead, unable to ambulate, without hope, deserving of wrath, as it says in verse 3. The analogy of death that Paul uses here is pretty stark. It's an absence of awareness. We're not even aware of our sin. It's a clear line and a picture, frankly, of ultimate despair. As the great philosopher Miracle Max says, the only thing left is to go through our pockets and look for loose change. The next line, however, is a breath of hope. Verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Spiritual life is a very different situation. We have a new spiritual reality characterized by life, a new awareness of sin and of God and of his working in our lives. The experience of inviting Christ into our hearts and our lives is the beginning of his victorious work in us. At that moment, we're saved from the consequences of our sin and also we embark on a journey of redemption, an adventure of new and full life. And this carries with it some very important new realities. Chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, When you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. As a believer in Christ, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit resides within you. This divine presence makes us alive to a new spiritual reality. In verse 17 of that chapter, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That, by the way, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's power. So it brings a new understanding. It brings a new awareness of an interaction with God, a new understanding of our purpose and our hope, and it's made possible by God's mighty power. We have been made alive with Christ. It's now possible not to sin. My dad, uh, my dad was an immense man. I don't know if any of you ever met him, but he made me look little. He was a big guy. And in my mind, he was constantly doing impossible things. And impossible was his specialty. And I remember one time we were working on a project, and I don't remember exactly what the project was, but we were working with steel, which, as you know, is a very hard substance, not easy to manipulate. And we were trying to get this thing to work and make it happen, and at one point I finally came to the conclusion it just wasn't going to happen. We weren't going to be able to do it. And I must have said that to my dad because he stopped and he looked at me kind of quizzically, and he said, son, this is just steel. We're men. We have to win. <laughs> Is that not a great line? It's just, how does he think of these things? And I would say to you guys, this is just sin. You and I are children of the almighty God. His spirit lives in us. We have access to his power. Victory is guaranteed. It's a guarantee. We have to win. It is possible not to sin. In this new life that Christ, uh, this new life in Christ puts another very important resource at our disposal. And it's a critical resource, although sometimes a little underutilized. It's critical in our struggle to be holy. And that is community. All the way through Ephesians, Paul is describing how Christ's sacrifice on the cross has made it possible for us, 
both Jews and Gentiles, to be part of one body. To be, as he says, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And when we get here to chapter 4, Paul makes some pretty strong statements with regard to the critical nature of our relationship to each other in this process. He says that Christ has given to his body, in verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in order to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And what's the result of that? Maturity. That together we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul is saying that as we commit to each other and as we each do our part, we build up the body so that we'll become in every respect, as it says in verse 15, every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We need each other in this process. On July 24th, uh, 2002, at about 9 p.m., there were two teams of miners working in the Q Creek mine, nine guys each, 18 guys. And some of you may remember this. I remember when this happened, and it, was, uh, it, it captivated my attention. One of the teams, this just happened in Pennsylvania, southern Pennsylvania. One of the teams accidentally dug into a nearby abandoned mine. They were operating a massive mining machine, a 60-ton piece of equipment, and it was kind of charging ahead, and the maps that they had were, were poorly constructed, and they didn't realize they were so close to this old abandoned mine that had been worked in 1913. And when the machine punched through and breached the wall, the old mine was flooded with water, and 50 million gallons of water began pouring into the space where they were working. And the team who made the breach immediately got on the phone to the other team that was deeper in the mine and said, you have to get out now. We're being flooded. And team two ran for the surface as fast as they could. It took them about 45 minutes and they were neck deep wading through the water in some places, but they made it out. And when they got out, they, they immediately called for help because team one didn't make it. The water had come in, and to get out, they had to go downhill first. And when they got to the lowest point, it was already flooded, and they couldn't get through. So by noon the next day, Team 1, nine miners, had retreated to the highest ground they could find. And with the water continuing to rise just 70 feet away, the foreman of the team figured they had about an hour left to live. And so in that hour, they wrote notes. They used some old building material that they had there, wrote notes to family and sealed it into a watertight container. They prayed with each other. And then they tied themselves together with a rope. And as they said, to die as a family. Now, eventually they got everybody out safely. And that was a miracle and a lot of heroic efforts but I remember hearing about that when they tied themselves together. I thought, what a fantastic picture of community, of dedication, of commitment. And I think that sometimes when we feel the most stuck and the most beaten down by sin, maybe that thing that we just can't seem to kick, and we feel guilt and we feel self-loathing, and it's a dark place, right? That's a lonely place. We think we are on our own, but we are not. We are roped together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to know that we're in this together. And that as I commit to you and you commit to me and we each do our part, that we can together achieve that whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But in order to do this, we have to give up our secrets. We have to go to each other for help when we struggle. We have to live so connected to each other that we know when someone is hurting. We have to not be afraid to receive one who is hurting. No matter how difficult that is to do, no matter how messy it is, no matter how hard it is to see your brother and sister and or sister in that situation. No matter how inept we feel, right, in some of those situations. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't know how to address this. In that moment, that's when you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I don't know how to, what to say here to help, and I don't even know what to do, but I'm tying my rope to you, brother. And we're going, if, if you go down, we're going down together, right? 
And so you tie your rope to that one who is hurting and, and I tie my rope to you. And someone else ties their rope to me and we all tie our ropes together and tie them to him, right? And together, together we can be holy. Together we can be who God wants us to be. I want you to hear what I have not said here this morning. I have not said that as a Christian, it is impossible to sin. I haven't said that. What I have said is that by God's grace and by his power, it is possible not to sin. God's power has awakened us to a new life, a new spiritual reality. And he has given us all the tools that we need to live holy lives. And to me, this is hope. This is a hopeful thing. So that as we together embrace this life of aliveness to God, and as you live out Christ's work in you, and you do your part to build me up and equip me, and I do the same for you, no matter how bad today was, no matter how badly I blew it today or how bleak the outlook looks, I know I have hope. Tomorrow, I could be more like my Savior than I was today. I'm not stuck. And someday... Maybe soon, together, we will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. May it be so. receive the benediction from the Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever.
Amen.